belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for April 25th, 2021 is called, What Are We Afraid Of? The speaker is John Ray, and the location is Vespers Point, Mount Sequoia, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome again, everybody. My name is John Ray. I'm part of Grace Church here. And welcome to everybody who's watching on the the live stream on Facebook. Welcome to everybody who's going to listen to this on the podcast. We are really glad you're here. Um, One of the really cool things that I get to do is, um, as an outdoor guide, I get to take people out into the wilderness on bikes and in boats and, and camping and hiking and things like that. And part of doing that is uh, being certified in wilderness first aid. So not too long ago, I was refreshing my my wilderness first aid certification. And it was interesting how many people were asking about the dangers that you would encounter in the wild. And there was a lot of talk about, well, hey, what do you what do you do when it, if you get bit by a rattlesnake? Um, what, what happens if a mountain lion comes at you? Um, how, you know, should you always carry bear spray with you? You know, for the bears, because, you know, we have those here in Arkansas. We have bears in Arkansas. And the instructor, um, after a number of these questions, was, was getting a little bit exasperated. And he said, look, we have bears. We even have mountain lions, even if Arkansas parks deny that we do. We do have mountain lions. And there certainly are rattlesnakes, and there's something to be concerned about. But the chance that you're ever going to treat a bear bite or a rattlesnake bite are extremely low. He said, no, but there's something much more dangerous out there you need to pay attention to. Birds, it's not birds, Roland. (laughs) What is it? Not other humans. Bugs. He said, by far, the thing that you are going to treat the most that is going to be the most life-threatening is a wasp sting or a tick bite with that. And this is an interesting thing. He was saying, he was saying, look, yeah, like, don't go, don't go chasing any bears. (laughs) You know, don't, don't rub raw meat on you for the mountain lions to come smell. Don't go trying to pick up a rattlesnake. Like, but, but those things, in a way, are easily avoided. If you're just aware, there, there are certain precautions that you can do that, that you really don't have to worry about those things. He said, but you really have to pay attention to the bugs. You really have to make sure if someone is allergic and goes into anaphylactic shock, you really have to be certain that if someone has a tick, to take it, to hold on to it in case they're, they develop symptoms later on with that. Like, like this is something you have to constantly be aware of with that. As we were studying and reading the passage, we're looking at Isaiah 43 through 45 this week. I thought a lot about this. And as Alex started, he said, you know, there's this oft-repeated um, command throughout Scripture, don't be afraid. Well, the truth is, other places it says, fear this. 
So when we look at this in context, we understand that the author is not saying, don't be afraid at all. Don't be afraid of anything. No, we, we are, there are things that we are supposed to fear, that we are supposed to rightly align that to. But the author is saying the things that scare you are not the things to be scared of. The things that we're tempted to be scared of, that we're most often ginned up in our society, within our flesh, within, within what we listen to, within the media, within groups, within society, that they're telling us to be scared of, don't be scared of those things. Instead, pay attention to the real danger. Pay attention also, and here's the thing too, like certain big things, there's nothing we can do about And we spend so much time worrying and anxiety about these big things that actually we have zero control over. That our fear does nothing to change that situation. When if we were paying attention to the small thing, the things that we actually can control, that we do have control over, those make a a significant difference. Those make a huge difference. Well, let's look at the text here. So we've been asking these questions as we go through as part of our study, and I hope you're doing this on your study on your own. What did it mean to the original hearers? What did it mean to the first Christians? And what does it mean for us? When we look at this this part of the text in context, this is written to a people who have been ripped apart by exile. Most of them, the wisest, the smartest, the riches have all been carried off to Babylon. There's only a remnant that's left in Israel. There is no worship in the temple. The temple has been shut down. It is, the land has been occupied by foreigners. They are, they are in the midst of a fire and a flood of epic proportions that they cannot control. That their individual actions make zero difference as to whether they're going to be in Babylon or out of Babylon, have worship or don't. And they get this instruction. So I'm not going to read all of 43 through 45. It's a lot of text. I encourage you to do that in your study though, to read it. I'm just going to read this part and make a few comments. So starting with chapter 43 of Isaiah, starting with verse one. Now, this is what the Lord said, the one who created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel. Here we go. Don't be afraid. Right from the start, for I will protect you. And again, fear not or don't be afraid is the most often often, um, repeated commandment in scripture. You think it would be love God, right? or love your neighbor, or one of those. No, the most often repeated commandment in Scripture is fear not. Don't be afraid. And as you read this, you'll see it's just just time after time. You see fear not, fear not, fear not. He says, I call you by name and you are mine. And here's what we need to understand too, is that this is our primary identity. This is where we find our identity is in being called by God, named by God, and belonging to God. So we see a progression. Fear not. Why? Because we're we're gods. We're called by God. We're named by God. We are God's people. We are the passion of God with that. So he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. Be happy, right? Don't worry. For no reason for that. No, he, he gives us reason. God gives us reason not to be afraid. And then here we go. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. Not you won't pass through the waters, but when you pass through the waters. When you pass through the streams, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, not 
I will keep the fire from you, but when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your deliverer. I have handed over Egypt as a ransom price, Ethiopia and Seba as a place for you. You are precious and special in my sight, and I love you. Y'all, this is, this is a distinctly Judeo-Christian idea that God actually loves us. I will hand over people in a place for you, nations, and a place for your life. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. So not only are we his not only are we gods, but God is with us. From the east, I will bring your descendants. From the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, hand them over to the south. Don't hold them back. Bring my sons from distant lands and my daughters from the remote regions of the earth. Everyone who belongs to me, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, yes, whom I made. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes. Bring out those who are deaf, even though they have ears. All nations gather together. The peoples assemble. Who among them announced this? Who predicted earlier events for us? Let them produce their witnesses to testify. They were right. Let them listen and affirm. It is true. And here comes our response. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. My servant whom I have chosen so that you may consider and believe in me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me. None will outlive me. I, I am the Lord. And there is no deliverer besides me, beside me. I decreed and delivered and proclaimed, and there was no other God among you. You are my witnesses. It's pretty powerful stuff. Especially when we remember and consider the context that this is given to a people who are in the flood. They are in the fire. This is not given to a peaceable assembly like we are here today. These people are enslaved. They're captive. They're overrun. Everything that they know of their normal life is being torn apart. And yet God is saying, declaring, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Be my witnesses. Pay attention to this. Well, that was to the people who heard it. What about the first, what about the first believers? What about the early church? When they went back and they reinterpreted the Old Testament through the life of Jesus, through that what we call here at, at Grace, well, we don't just call it here. It's called everywhere. But uh, it's called everywhere the, the Christological hermeneutic. We're looking at it. We're looking at Scripture through the life of Jesus with that. Well, I, I think they were seeing that this was being fulfilled, but in a way that they hadn't previously understood, that this was a, a staggering way to understand what God was doing in Jesus and in the early church that they saw their commission. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses into the ends of the earth, they started to see, oh my gosh, like that was back, even Isaiah, this was promised. Is that the calling has always been there. Now we are fulfilling it in a way that is unique with that. And so the early church, I mean, uh, we've talked about this before. One of the reasons why we're taking so much time to study Isaiah, it's the most oft quoted book in the New Testament. Other than the Psalms, Jesus quoted Isaiah more than any other book. So this formed the early church's imagination, these prophecies, these promises, this God with them, God with usness, fueled their witness, gave them courage when they faced their fears. And likewise, we see, isn't that what it's supposed to do for us? 
You see, the world can be a really scary place, period. With or without Jesus, the world can be a really scary place. But God gives us certain reassurances to help us focus our fears in ways that lead to life and that establish our core identity. Again, look, fear happens. And fear is a gift from God. Fear is not a curse. There are things we need to be afraid of. But what and how much we are afraid, so often as a result of our brokenness, of our fallenness, we get this wrong. We end up worrying about the mountain lions and the grizzly bears, the things that we really can do, not do anything about. And not paying attention at all to the hornets, to the ticks, to the little things that we have control over with that. See, staying focused or centered in the reality of God takes intention and effort. Now, fortunately, we find constant reminders of this in the text this week and throughout the Bible. And, and the way we focus it is with this idea of remembering, first of all, don't be afraid. That, like, if, if that is the most often repeated command of the Bible, we need, to, we need to make that pretty core to start with, right? We encounter a situation, we hear a news article, we, we see something happen, our, our initial reaction is, <gasps> it's fear. Okay, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, right? Why? Why? Because God is with us. God is with me. God is here. There is no place on this earth where God isn't. God is there. God is here with us. So don't get distracted. Don't be afraid and be ready to bear witness. Now, bear witness, again, a lot of us here have been involved in campus ministries and nonprofit organizations that had huge conferences about going and being witnesses on the earth and doing these things. And, and there is a place that. But that's really a very narrow idea of what it means to be witness. Y'all, you don't have to go overseas to be witness. You know, a lot of times you don't have to leave your house to bear witness. Bearing witness means I am, I am slowing down enough and I am paying attention enough to what God is doing, how God is present here, and giving voice to the truth that may not be self-evident. It may not seem true. My whole somatic system may be crying for me to, to respond with anxiety or with fear. But I will bear witness, no, that God is with me. God is with us. That I do not need to fear this thing because even if it happens, the bear attack, <laughs> the snake bites, God will be with me. And if I will pay attention to the things otherwise that I can control, I don't need to fear. I don't need to live in fear with that. There, Alex noted that the two most powerful motivating factors in our life are love and fear. Both of those things are constantly being challenged to be distracted from. 
to love what we shouldn't and be cold to what we should, to fear what we shouldn't, and to ignore what we should. This process of discipleship, this process of following Jesus, this process of being a church, is so that we can come together as a people and practice fearing not. We can practice centering ourselves into the reality of Jesus, the reality of the word, the reality of the scripture. We can learn to, to quiet the distractions. Look, as ADD as I am, I don't ha really have any hope that I'm ever going to be totally distractionless. But I think I can quiet them. I think I can learn to practice in a way that quiets those. I think I can learn in a way that I can pay more and more attention and be less and less distracted with that. And that I can see my calling as a follower of Jesus is to bear witness to what I find, the reality of that as we go. Last week, one of the practices we talked about when we got cut short by the rain was this idea that we're, we all live in a constant practice of confession, repentance, and faith. Because I don't want to leave you here saying that this is easy. I don't want you to go away and go, oh, Bears are no big deal. You know? They are. Like, when they happen, it's rare, but they are. What I do want to remind us is that we're not left to figure this out on our own. We talked last week, again, just briefly, but it's something that we're going to talk about a lot, is this idea of developing the practice of confession. And not just, and when I say confession, I'm not just talking about, oh, I did this and it was bad. No, I'm talking about confessing the truth. I'm just talking about confessing things as they are. It, it, confession ties with our bearing witness. It's part of that. So we confess, hey, this is beautiful today. Or, man, I am overwhelmed with sorrow today. What, what do we need to confess, right? We confess. And then we repent. And again, repentance is not some moralistic um, activity that we do so that God won't be mad at us anymore. All right? God's not mad at you. I just want to tell you that right now. Whatever it is, God's not mad at you. You don't have to perform to get God to quit being mad at you. That's all been taken care of. So why do we repent then? If it's not to earn something, why do we repent? Because it's a way that leads to life. Repentance is just taking in new information and understanding, oh my gosh, I'm like, I want to get there, but I'm walking this way. So I repent, I turn, and I go towards the thing I want. Again, but that's rooted in this idea of confession. We have to tell the truth first about where we are and where we're headed. And then we can repent. Then we can turn away from those things. Then we can stop doing the things that lead us astray, start doing the things that lead us to life. And the way all that works is in faith. Is we have to believe that it actually works. And this is, honestly, the older I get, this is the hardest part. This is the part that is supernatural. This is the part that, in a way, has to be given by a gift. We practice it, yes, but ultimately, the faith that I have is not my own. The faith that I have is a gift. It's something given to me. That as I receive it and cultivate it and practice it in in put it into real life, it grows with that. But remember, none of us, and I included an article in the learning guide, again, that, that emphasizes this again. Look, 
Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. So we have to apply ourselves. We have to give effort to this. But it's not in hopes of something we, that we'll earn or some bad thing that we'll avoid. It's as a result of what we have already received, what we've already been given. That's the faith that we walk in. You see, in here at Grace Church, we practice, we talk about belong, become, believe. This misplaced fear is a constant threat to hospitality and shalom. Will there be enough to go around? What if including those people is dangerous? What if we get this wrong and somehow God abandons us? Well, those are things that we should not be afraid of. And as a practice and witness to that, we extend hospitality to everyone without earning anything because we are extended that same hospitality. And through that practice of hospitality, we start to become more like the one who has included us. As we practice that, it changes us. That proximity gives us perspective on things. And through that, as we become, we are able to believe or to confess more and more naturally what we believe and see to be true. We give witness. That that belief is bearing witness to what we know and have experienced by God. I'm going to ask the communion team to come up here because we're still in the the COVID protocols, we're going to do this a little bit differently. So they're going to be moving throughout. If you want to receive communion, hold your hands out. They'll place, they'll place the cracker in your hand. You can take one of the, one of the cups, but they'll place it in your hand so that we don't have everybody reaching in the, with that. And they've taken precautions in preparing and serving this with that. This is also a time where we take time to reflect. Look, uh, you're going to hear this a lot at Grace Church. You don't. You should not believe what I just said just because I have the microphone. This is for all of us to discern. This is for all of us to work. You need to know if this is true because you've studied it also. Because you've maybe practiced it and seen how it works. And here we pray and we worship and we also give our offering. Now, we don't give a physical offering up here just because of logistics and everything. But just know that giving that offering is part of our worship. We, there's places to do that online. You can do it by Venmo. You can do it on our website with that. But the offering is part of your worship. What it, what it does is it says that no one here is without something to give. All of us have something to give. And no one here is without a need. All of us have needs. And so we share these things together. And if the worship team would go ahead and come on up. As we worship and as we receive this communion, and just go ahead and take the communion as you get it. Don't wait for us to do it together. Take the communion as you get it. Um, Know that this is both sign, symbol, and reality of the grace of God to us all. Everyone is welcome at this table. There is no prerequisite here because you are already loved, already welcomed, and already included. So thank you for joining with us this morning. We hope you'll stick around afterwards and talk.
But let's worship now. Receive this into our bodies and go in faith afterwards. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.